Church. It is good to be back again with you guys one more time. And if this is your first time or first time uh, in a long time, we're coming near the end of a series we started back in the fall called The Big Story, uh, where we are going through the big story of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, all the major themes and stories uh, that tie the one big story of Scripture all together. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so we're going to be taking a jump from the book of Acts all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and, and turn there, you can please go ahead and do that. Uh, like I said a minute ago, it is Pentecost Sunday is today. And, uh, and so we will actually be going back and looking a little bit at Acts chapter 2 there as it kind of illustrates what's taking place and what the Apostle Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And so if you want to put your finger in Acts 2, uh, you can go ahead and do that. Um, if you're around our church body sometime uh, in the past year, then you remember it was right around this time last year that we were wrapping up everything going on with Revive Texas. Uh, you, can you guys believe it was a, that was about a year ago? Uh, how many of you guys were around then and you were a part of Revive Texas? If you were not, like, this was an incredible time uh, that took place from Easter to Pentecost this time last year. 50 consecutive days of, of gathering together with other believers around our city, um, praying and going into the community to pray for people and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were able to mobilize, I want to say, somewhere over 20,000 believers across the Metroplex. We saw almost 3,000 uh, individual professions of faith through one-on-one conversations. Uh, a number of those were set up with one-on-one discipling relationships. We saw about 60% of our church body here, uh, regular church attendants on a Sunday morning, actually go out and share their faith at some point over those 50 days. Right? We saw about 75 of you trained as disciple makers, partnered together uh, with brand new believers, helping them grow up in the faith. And, and all I can say about that time, God, is, is, is that God was on the move. That was an incredible and uh, exciting time. Uh, to see what God was doing in our city. Uh, probably one of my favorite things about that time was just the unity we were able to experience in the diversity of the body of Christ at that time. Uh, we gathered together every single day, about 150 different churches uh, that I would say showed up and actually actively participated in this thing. Uh, about 300 in, in word, about 150 practically actually showed up at different churches. And we're talking across denominational boundaries, uh, across different uh, just, just, just so much diversity that's going on there, and we came together as one. Just came in, coming to sing and sing, coming to pray and going to the community to share the gospel, uh, all as one body. And I love it. Probably there's there's a part of me that says, you know what? There's there was a lot about that experience that reminds me of my own personal family. I came back, come back at Thanksgiving time, and I got a very diverse family. You come back at, at Thanksgiving, and uh, like I've got an uncle who is a, just a hardcore Southern Baptist, right? And he's sitting there at the table. And then I've got an aunt who is a hardcore Assemblies of God. And then I've got, uh, I've got uh, my sister who's an ordained Presbyterian minister. And her husband is a, is a professor at the Presbyterian Seminary. And then I've got uh, my brothers and I are all here kind of in this non-denominational Bible church world. And then uh, my parents began in the Presbyterian church. My, my, my grandfather was a pres- Presbyterian minister. Uh, we moved to the Bible church when I was young. And now they've actually transitioned to a Bible preaching and Methodist church uh, in the woodlands. And so, as you can imagine, like, we have some pretty lively uh, and spirited conversations when we get together around that dinner table uh, during the holidays. And it's actually a beautiful thing. I love it and appreciate it a lot. We'll gather, we'll talk, we'll, we'll, ribe, we'll, we'll kind of rib each other a little bit and make a few jokes, and we'll have our little debates. And at the end of that time, we come back and we remember that at the end of the day, we're still family, Right? 
And it's this beautiful picture of unity and diversity, not only there in Revive Texas, not only what's happening there around uh, the, the dinner table in this, in this diverse body of people and this diverse family here. We would gather and we would major on the majors. We would minor on the various minors there. And at the end of the day, we would remember that because of the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf, at the end of the day, we are one beautiful family there, even though we're very, very different and not exactly the same. And as I say that, I, 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 I want you to hear me. I love, I love things that are the same, right? I, I, same is a beautiful thing. I love same. Same is easy. Same is full of peace. But here's what I've noticed. When I'm hanging out with my Baptist uncle and my Baptist friends during the day, during the weeks and stuff, but I, I've noticed that there's a type among the Baptists, right? And, like, and, and they're going to say the same thing about us. Like you, you non-denominational Bible church, like there's a type that goes to your church, and they're going to have their, their kind of convic- convictions about social issues and things of that nature. And, and they're going to have their type that's over there. But I found this thing to be true, that even though we agree on most things and disagree on a, on a few minors and things like that, I'm always, always, always challenged by the Baptists and their strong convictions of the truth of God's word. I've always valued that about them. And I've noticed the same thing when I'm hanging out with my Presbyterian friends, too. Like, right, like they've got a type. Like, my Presbyterian friends, I've noticed this, that they're, they're typically the more educated. They're the really, really smart ones and stuff, right? They're pretty conservative. They, they're pretty straight-laced. They like structure and order and things of that nature. And, and I've noticed that when we gather and we talk about different things, like we agree on most and we, we disagree on a few uh, sub, you know, secondary issues and things of that nature. But every single time I notice that I'm always challenged and edified by the way that they're able to love the Lord their God with all of their mind. And I love the way that they're able to have this reverent affection for the holiness of God. They always lift up the holiness of God. And I've noticed the same thing take place in my charismatic friends too, right? Like they've absolutely got a type. Like the, they, if, they, if they remember that you're supposed to hang out that day, um, you know what I'm talking about, right? If they remember you're supposed to hang out that day, like, like they've got a type. And they're going to say the exact same things about us too. And we kind of joke about it, but... I love my charismatic friends because I know, I know, I know that if there's anybody, if I need some prayer about something specific, I know that they're the ones that I need to call because they believe God for everything. And I know that if I want to go into the community and I feel compelled to go share, my, share the gospel or engage in some missional activity, I know that those are the people that I'm going to call first because they're willing to engage and there's this type. And it's this beautiful picture of unity, even in diversity. And here's my concern with the entire thing. I wonder if in all of our different divisions, our local church bodies that have been narrowed down into these various predictable types, I wonder if we end up missing out on the gifts and strengths of a truly diverse body of Christ. In the passage we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul is going to say that every single one of us have a unique role to play in the building up of his body into maturity, and it's got everything to do with the unique spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit decides to give you and me. And so this morning, I want, to, I want to take us to 1 Corinthians 12. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up there. Um, all I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the purpose of these gifts and what God is doing with these gifts in this diverse body of believers here. And I want to talk a little bit more specifically about what those gifts are and how they can play out here at Dallas Bible Church for the fulfillment of those purposes. And so uh, let's go ahead and turn there. While you're doing that, I want to remind us where we are in this whole big story. We have turned the page 
turn the page, Old Testament to New Testament, we're dealing with the exact same God. There's a lot of questions that keep coming up here. Exact same God from beginning to end. He is one God eternally existing in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. He is eternally and always existed as one in three distinct persons. And we're seeing that take place from the very beginning all the way into the end. We're also dealing with the exact same mission from beginning to end. As soon as sin enters into the world, it is all about God coming and bringing his plan of redemption to the ends of the earth, and he's doing it largely through his covenant people, uh, the nation of Israel. All we're seeing right now in the New Testament is a brand new covenant come into place, though the word of God is is described as a new and better covenant. And we've talked about a lot of the different reasons why it's actually described as a better covenant. Uh, There's a lot of different reasons, but in the past couple weeks, we've talked about two primarily. Number one, now we have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is a major differentiation between the Old and the New Testament. Now we have the permanent indwelling Holy Spirit, whereas under the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit would come for a time in order to empower certain leaders. And we can go ahead and take that that image off there. I keep seeing that back there. But like in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and empower certain leaders and believers uh, to fulfill his gospel purposes at those places in time. It's why the the psalmist is going to say, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, right? He would come and go in order to empower for certain works and activities that would glorify the name of the Father. Under the new covenant, we now have the permanent indwelling Holy Spirit for every uh, person who genuinely has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Major, major differentiation. Therefore, we, we, we now have the ability to not only change from the inside out, but then go and be the change that we've often prayed for and longed for God to, to see. Major difference between the Old and the New Covenant. Um, another one we talked about last week is, that, um, is the fact that under the New Covenant, Gentiles are now specifically and directly included in the, this New Covenant. And we talked about this this past week, last Sunday actually was, if, if you remember this from Acts chapter 10. Uh, but it was not necessarily the case under the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, uh, God's promises to Abraham, God's promises to Moses, directly came to the nation. They were for the nation of Israel, to the nation of Israel. Uh, it was always had the, the world and, the, and, and everything, uh, everybody outside of the nation of Israel in view. Uh, but it came to the nation of Israel. Now under the New Covenant, uh, it is directly included with the, this inclusion of the Gentiles. And that's going to be Peter coming and talking to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And it's this beautiful, messy body of uh, believers, Jews and Gentiles now together uh, in one family, this, this people that did not naturally uh, like each other or love each other at all. And we saw that last week in Acts chapter 10. Peter even says as much to Cornelius, right? He, he goes and he talks to Cornelius and he says, uh, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. No offense, right? Like that's, his, that's how he talks to Cornelius. He's like, you're, you, you know that this is actually against our law. We should not be doing this and having this conversation. Uh, here's what he says. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And it's the same thing in verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And so what the Holy Spirit does with this Gentile inclusion uh, is absolutely huge. It's why we're here worshiping God primarily even today, because Gentiles were included back then. But with all that inclusion that takes place in the new covenant, it brings a lot of diversity along with it. And with diversity 
diversity can just be really, really difficult to manage. And that's the problem that we're going to be seeing take place in this first century church that's going to carry over into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to this first century church, and he's talking about all these different things that, that threaten to divide up the unity of these, of these people that are going on there. And that's when he's going to speak into the situation. He's going to say, okay, you're actually one body of Christ and you've got various spiritual gifts that are all developed and given to you for the edification of the church body. And that's where I want to pick it up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 1 this morning. So follow along with me. Here's what he has to say. Now about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So I want to go ahead and stop right there. Anybody seeing a little bit of repetition taking place here? Right? He's saying, he's saying uh, verse 4, there's different kinds of gifts, but there's the exact same spirit. There's different kinds of service, but it's the exact same Lord. Verse 6, there's different kinds of workings, but it's the exact same God who's still at work. In other words, it seems like different was always part of the plan. It seems like this whole thing was intentional. There's different manifestations of the Spirit, but they're all given for the, for the common good and for the edification of Christ's body. And so when we're talking about spiritual gifts, I want to go ahead and define it like this. A spiritual gift are the specific gifts and abilities that are given by the Holy Spirit to believers in order to help build up his body, the church, all around the world. And we're going to define that a little bit more in just a little bit, but um, this is part of what Jesus had in mind back in John chapter 14. uh, When he says this, he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me is going to do the works that I've been doing, and they're going to do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And it seems kind of ridiculous. You're kind of going, okay, I don't understand that fully. He's going to continue to add to it a couple chapters later when he's speaking to his disciples, and they're all terrified because Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm actually going to go back home to my father. And they're going, how are we going to do this whole thing without you? And he encourages them this way, and he says, "Uh, don't worry about the fact that I'm going back to my father because it's actually going to be better for you when I go because then the Holy Spirit will be able to come, and the Holy Spirit inside of you is actually going to be better uh, than having me stand beside you. Uh, In in other words, because Jesus ascended into heaven to be with his Father, and because you and I now have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are able to do greater things than these, meaning uh, we are able to do a greater number of ministry-oriented things than the things that Jesus was looking at right then. So we're not talking about better or more powerful works than Jesus did, right? I want to clarify that. Good luck topping the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything that that accomplished, right? We're not talking about better or more powerful things than what Jesus was able to do. We're talking about a greater number of things that we're able to do because his Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to distribute gifts and power to millions of various believers all around the world so they can not only build up his church but effectively take the gospel all around the world. And church, it's exactly what we see the Holy Spirit doing when he first comes at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Church, I mean, like, how in the world does the gospel explode from less than 1,000 people there in the beginning, right after the resurrection of Jesus, to nearly 30 million believers in the 300 years after? Like, none of it makes any sense, right? Nearly 53% of the Roman Empire converted to Christianity in the 300 years immediately following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you look at the people that are behind it, like we've talked about this a number of times, none of it makes any sense. These are the B-teamers, right? 
Like, these aren't exactly the most influential people of the day. On top of that, it's taking place uh, when, when the Roman Empire is, is opposing everything that they do, and the people that are converting are already firmly, con- are already firmly committed to various world religions. It's why a Yale historian, I love this quote, he, he says it like this, Kenneth Latourette. He says, it's clear that at the very beginning of Christianity, there had to be a vast release of energy virtually unequaled in history. Nothing else can explain the unrivaled success of the early Christian movement. That's coming from a non-believing perspective there. And the reason I love that quote is because that is exactly what takes place at the coming of the Holy Spirit there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Like when the Spirit comes, church, he always comes with a purpose. When the Spirit of God comes, he always comes with a purpose. I want to show you this there at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to put these up on screen, but if you have your Bible and want to follow along, you absolutely can't. Uh, Here's what it says, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, um, just a little sidebar. Pentecost was not a name given in response to uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon the church at this particular time. This is actually an annual festival the Jews Jews observed. They would come together every single year in order to to present their first fruits of the wheat harvest unto God. It was also the day that they would come and celebrate the anniversary of the Mosaic Law. In other words, what we're seeing here, this day, Pentecost, uh, this is a really, really big day in Jewish history. Uh, this is an important day. So if you were a Jew uh, living within about a 20-mile radius of Jerusalem at that point in time, you needed to be there in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. And church, I want you to see, like, that's when the Holy Spirit decided to come. It's exactly why Jesus comes and he says, you need to wait here. Don't go and accomplish. I know you've got my plans and I know you've got the mission in front of you and I know you want to go. But he says, you need to wait because you still need the Holy Spirit. He's waiting for, for all of these people to descend upon Jerusalem because his timing is absolutely perfect in this whole thing. Everybody is there. Jews from all over the place are coming in to celebrate what's h- taking place there at Pentecost. And I kind of wonder if, if any of us struggle with the timing of God and Maybe you're in a season of waiting yourself, but you're kind of going, I, I just want you to know, like, like, his timing is absolutely perfect. Everybody's descended upon Jerusalem at this point in time, and that's when he decides to make his appearance. So check this out in verse 2. It says, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and he filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there, was, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, because they were all descending upon Jerusalem for Pentecost. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? This would be like going on a mission trip to China. And all of a sudden, I'm going there and preaching, and all of a sudden, I start speaking in Mandarin. I never studied Mandarin. I don't understand Mandarin. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just miraculously uh, gives me the ability to preach in Mandarin. And the people that are there that naturally speak Mandarin, and they understand the gospel in their original language so that they are able to respond in genuine faith. Like, that's what's taking place here. It says that uh, all of these various Jews, it says in... um, In verse 5, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, they are all there, and they're hearing the gospel preached in their original language here. And so it says in verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, they're confused by this whole thing, they're like, what does this whole thing mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, well, they've had too much to drink, obviously. And so Peter stands up and he explains, no, we're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And they're like, Peter, you're a little naive, because 9 o'clock does not stop some of us. And so in verse 16, he stands up and he explains, okay, 
Like this is exactly what the this is exactly what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Verse 17, in the last days, God says, speaking of Joel here, uh, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. In other words, everything that we are seeing take place, uh, this is the beginning of a brand new day. None of it is how it happened in the past. Everything is brand new, and it is different taking place right here. The Holy Spirit came and, and will empower certain people for times for, 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 for gospel-related works under the Old Covenant, but now the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all people, not just leaders, not just people like King David, and not just like judges and things like that, and, and, uh, but, but, but servants too, he says. And it's not just the old people, but it's the young people too. And it's not just men, but it's also the women. It's going to be people like Priscilla and Aquila who God uses to uh, equip and teach the Apostle Paul just after his conversion. And it's going to be Anna, who was a prophetess and an evangelist in the temple. It's going to be Dorcas, who was a servant leader in the early church. It's going to be Lydia, who was a successful businesswoman and the first church planner on the continent of Europe. That's what he means by all. It's leaders and it's servants and it's old and it's young and it's men and it's women. All who genuinely believe will have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But here it is, church. If you want the Holy Spirit's power, you've also got to be aligned with his purposes. Everyone's going to have the indwelling Holy Spirit, but if you want his power, you've got to be aligned with his purpose because his power is always aligned with his purpose. Church, like tongues, they weren't just random. Like this wasn't just random ecstatic thing to get people excited one day. Like, like they were an actual language miraculously given to a believer so unbelievers who spoke that language could understand the gospel in that native language, come to genuine faith and be saved. And, and, and here's the thing, like everything that the Holy Spirit did there in Acts chapter 2, it all worked. At the end of the chapter, we're going to be saying like, that, God, that God just kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. But church, that, that's how the whole thing works. Like the, the power came for a purpose. And for that power to actually be realized, men and women had to be willing to open up their mouths, potentially look really, really dumb, and they had to actually speak. Like, that's how it works. His, his power is always aligned with his purposes. And so if you want the Spirit's power, you've got to embrace his purposes too. And it's the exact same thing that we're seeing here with the visions and dreams, right? It says in verse 17, young men are going to see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Visions happen typically during the day. Dreams typically happen at night. And here's the thing. They're only helpful if you're aligned with his purpose and you're willing to follow his lead. I, uh, Tom Doyle wrote this book a, a few years back called, Is Jesus Awakening the Muslim World? Anybody catch this book? We had Tom come in and preach here about a year ago. Um, is Jesus awakening the, uh, the Muslim world? But in this book, he's talking about how uh, one of the ways that God is reaching these, these nations, these people groups that are typically closed off to the gospel is through visions and dreams even today. Um, this past, past year, about a year ago, we were out in uh, Vickery Meadows during Revive Texas. Uh, Vickery is a place where a lot of international refugees live. There's around 10,000 international refugees uh, right around 75 and kind of Park Lane a little bit uh, east of that. Uh, and so we went out to that area and we happened to meet this man who was from Nepal. And um, he was a person of peace. He was just a peaceful person. And he found out what we were doing and praying with people. But uh, uh, we went to this one apartment complex and no one there spoke any English. And so uh, we found this guy. He happened to speak English and he says, I'm a believer. Uh, I'd love to go and I'd love to be an interpreter for you so that we can go into these places and preach the gospel. And so... Um, it was an incredible thing, and I started to get to know this guy, and this is his testimony of how he came to faith while he was living in Nepal in a refugee camp. 
Like there, this was a closed-off area. The gospel had not gone there before. And he described this scene where he just kept having these reoccurring dreams of what he described as Jesus coming and appearing to him in a dream and essentially saying, come home. Uh, meanwhile, what happened was uh, there was a missionary in that particular town who happened to have kind of a very similar thing that he was supposed to go to this camp and go follow up and preach the gospel with him. And so when the missionary aligned with this person who was there in the refugee camp, the gospel was preached. That person came to faith, which aligned with the dreams that the Holy Spirit had given to him, and he actually ended up coming to faith. And church, that's the whole purpose of these gifts. It is always for the edification of the body and for the glory of God's name through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you want to see his purpose, you've all, or if you want to see his power, you've always got to be aligned with his, with his purposes. Like, they don't just come if you're willing to sit there, if you're not willing to go out and actually open up your mouth and to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world. And so 20 years after Pentecost has come and the Holy Spirit's doing his thing and the church is being edified and built up, the Apostle Paul comes back on the scene and he starts talking about these various gifts and how he's building his church body and accomplishing his purposes throughout the world. And in verse 7, he's going to say, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, for every genuine believer, you're going to have at least one spiritual gift. No person's going to have every single spiritual gift, but for every person who's a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have at least one spiritual gift. And then he's going to continue, and he's going to start listing them here in verse 8, and he's going to say, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, and to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Are you seeing the theme here? to another miraculous powers, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing between spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the same, are the works of the one and the same spirit. There it is again. And he distributes them to each one of them just as he determines. In other words, you don't get to pick and choose which spiritual gifts that you get. Nobody has every single one of them, but every genuine believer has at least one of them. And granted, in verse 31, he's actually going to say things like uh, to earnestly desire these greater gifts. And so absolutely, we need to pray. We need to say, Holy Spirit, would you come and bring me whatever gifts you want to give me uh, for the edification of the body and for the furtherance of the gospel all around the world? But whatever it is you choose to give me, I'm fine with, us, with, with taking on this role that you've given to me. By the way, that has been a constant prayer of mine since really late in high school. Holy Spirit, would you give me whatever you want to give me at these different times for the furtherance of the gospel and for the edification of your body all around the world? And so he looks at this, the, the, this little section of Scripture right here, and, and this is just one of the various lists that we're going to find in Scripture here. And there's going to be a few other lists that are going to talk about different spiritual gifts, and he's going to start naming them and talking about them a little bit. And and, uh, and they're going to be, some of them are going to be very normal things that, that play out in our church body all the time. And then some of them are going to be a little bit more abnormal and things that we don't have a whole lot of familiarity with. I want to go through some of these different things. And I want to pull from uh, a variety of different lists that he kind of talks about here, these different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And as we talk about some of these things, I want you to think about uh, how he may have been, how he might have gifted you. And then where you might actually be had it not been for other people in your life who have these various gifts. And so he talks about a lot of them. One of them he talks about is the gift of serving or the gift of helps. And he talks about that in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 7, and even here at the end of this chapter right here. But the gift of, uh, of helps and serving is essentially people with this profound ability to get things done behind the scenes. 
Like, these are the people that don't want to be in charge. These are the people that, that love to serve and to edify the church body and to build up the church body. And they're able to do it with this profound ability to support uh, everything that's needed behind the scenes. And I'm thinking of all the different people, even during Revive Texas, uh, the, the, the 20% of our church body that stayed behind every single week, and they're setting up tables, they're cooking food, they're cleaning up after the church is done. They're opening up their homes to host different people that are coming in town to go in to share and engage the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, they're doing everything behind the scenes in order to help and serve. And, uh, and, and in doing so, uh, they're building up the body of Christ. Church, where in the world would we be without people that have the gift of service and helps? At the end of the chapter, he keeps talking about the gift of administration. And administration is very similar to that, except these are the people that are great organizers of different things. Like these are the people that, 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 that know how things need to be pieced together. These are more detail-oriented. Uh, I praise God for them. I think that every single pastor on the planet needs an administrator. Otherwise, we would get absolutely nothing done around here. That's why we hired a guy named Jeff here pretty soon, and so he's coming in. Uh, he keeps going in Romans chapter 12, 7. He talks about the gift of teaching. And the gift of teaching, we're not talking about just anybody that has an ability to teach different things. We're talking about people with a supernatural ability to make very, very complex things simple and accessible and received by any number of people. I'm thinking of Zane, who's able to take complex theology and, and apply it to our children on a regular basis. Gary O'Neill, I'm thinking of Pete, who, who are regular, uh, gifted, anointed teachers. And here's the beauty of this kind of thing. Like Typically, when you're, when you're look, thinking about different spiritual gifts and how God may have wired you, a lot of us want to sit there and say, okay, well, typically I'm going to be able to discover my spiritual gifts by the things that I'm good at, naturally, and the things that I love to do, and an opportunity that may present itself right in front of me. Sometimes that is absolutely true. I would also say that sometimes and a lot of times the Holy Spirit comes and he gives you gifts and abilities which you're not otherwise naturally able to do very, very well. And he also asks you to go do things which your heart doesn't naturally align with. And he asks you to do things at certain times which may be inconvenient unto you. And so a spiritual gift is not necessarily what you're good at. It's not necessarily what you love, even though it sometimes is aligned with those things. And it's not exactly at a time where you want to go and engage with those different kinds of things. I'll, I'll never forget, one of my friends back at seminary, um, it was back in 2011 or 2012, something like that, the guy who won our preaching award that, that year at DTS, uh, he was a good friend of mine and uh, not very social. And uh, he, would, he, would, he would even describe himself. He's like, yeah, I, I kind of run from people. I hide from people. Naturally, he was not a very good communicator. Uh, he was um, uh, very insecure on a number of different things. We were in this preaching class together. And I'll never, I'll never forget when he got up there and he began to preach. Like the dude preached with just unbelievable power. I mean, I just, I, I, I texted Kat. I was like, you will not believe what came out of Willie's mouth. I was like, that man is anointed by God to preach the gospel in a supernatural way. And there's nothing natural about those abilities that are going on there. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He talks about exhortation and encouragement in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. And I praise God that we, we seem to have this entire church culture here that I don't know what it is, but maybe we, everyone around here has this gift of encouragement and an exhortation here. I was just thinking of Julie Hess and the number of different people that are constantly, constantly, constantly sending encouraging notes uh, on a regular basis saying, hey, we're praying for you and we are here with you. Uh, he talks about the, the gift of generosity in verse 8. And these are people that recognize that everything that I have uh, is not it's, it, that everything that I have is actually from the Lord, not just 10%. These are the people that go above and beyond to share uh, generously with the church body financially, my res resources and things of that nature. He continues to talk about the gift of leadership. And these are the people that wherever they go, uh, people love to follow. They want to be wherever these people are. 
And the Holy Spirit has given them this gift of leadership uh, where they naturally have this ability to take people along with wherever they're going. Thinking of the Matt Chandlers and the Todd Wagners on these extreme levels right over here. The gift of mercy. These are the peacemakers, right? Paul even talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he talks about this gift of celibacy. So if you ever want to really, really mess with some people in your, in, your, in your life, maybe your kids or something like that, I'll never forget, um, I was working with a group of college students uh, back in the day, and uh, we were doing these sp- spiritual gift assessments, and we were talking about spiritual gifts and th- that kind of a thing, and, and they went through all these different things, and we prayed for them and all these different things, and I was like, hey, good news, brother, I just want to let you know, like, you have the gift of celibacy, right? And and I'm like, like, they started like mourning. They're like, no, that's like the one thing I don't want. And so if you ever really want to mess with somebody, like you can, uh, you, you can go with that one. I think that was a lot of fun. So, but these are kind of the normal ones that, we, that you see around the church body that are used on a regular basis all the time for the edification of the body. Now, Paul is going to be talking about some really odd ones here uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 11, especially here. And here's what I want to say about some of these various gifts. Um, a chapter later in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, he's going to say that all of these gifts, even this, these mysterious sign gifts that were a lot more common there at the very beginning in the book of Acts, like they're all going to continue until the time of completion comes. And uh, I want you to see what it says here. He's, here's what he's going to say. Love never fails. And this is the whole love chapter here in 1 Corinthians 13. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is, in, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection is in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully, then I shall know fully, even, even as I am fully known. Church, can you see him face to face yet? Has Christ returned yet? When is this day of completion that he's talking about? This is the subject matter that denominations are typically created of. And he specifically says, when completeness comes, what is in part is going to disappear. And he's speaking about the return of Christ, this day when Christ is going to come again. So until the return of Christ, these gifts are going to continue. Do they cause problems? Absolutely. Are these gifts that we're about to talk about, are they often abused? Absolutely. Are these gifts sometimes really of God and sometimes not? Absolutely. Do these cause all kinds of dissensions and things like that going on? Are, are they more, uh, were they more common at the very beginning of this time? Absolutely. However, what he's saying right here is that these gifts have not ceased until the time of completion has actually come, until the reti- return of Christ has come in. And I want to look at these because this is, the, this is the thing that's here in our tradition that we're not typically talking about and we're not typically engaging in and, and listening to. But here's what he says. Uh, the first one that he talks about are words of wisdom here, this messages of wisdom. What he's talking about here is this, is this spiritual gift, this ability that is given by the Holy Spirit to discern wisdom when in matters that are not typically black and white, right? And so... Uh, these are the things that are not exactly black and white, like which job do I need to take? Which do I need to be in this relationship or not? Even though that is a little bit more of a black and white issue, sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. These are a lot of times our counselors. These are a lot of times people that come in that are able to just give you wisdom and help direct your steps. This is this, this message of wisdom that he's talking about right there. He talks about messages of knowledge here too. Okay, messages of knowledge. I, I've always, I think that this is the Holy Spirit coming and giving people this profound ability to know a whole lot of things, number one. 
That's one option for it is. I think this is a lot of uh, scholars, people that are writing uh, books, the people that are, that these, this ability to know and understand a whole lot of things about the complexities of God's word. Uh, it also could be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and this is probably the predominant opinion on this matter, but it's when the Holy Spirit, uh, it says, when all the secrets of the heart are laid bare. And so it's this Holy Spirit-directed gift that allows you to have this insight into what's going on in someone's life without them actually telling you what's going on. I'll never forget um, the first time I had an experience kind of with this. This is our... Uh, it was the first year that Kat and I got married. We were back at, at, in College Station, and I've shared with you guys before, our very first year of marriage was a very difficult year for us. Um, we had a lot of tension here. We had a lot of stress and baggage going on back home, and there's a lot of different things that were going on. And I was selling cars at the time back in College Station, and I'll never forget, there's this couple, this woman and her son that showed up on our parking lot. And I remember standing there and seeing them from a distance, and as soon as they came out of the door, uh, as soon as they got out of their car, I, my, I just fixed on this guy that walked out, and, um, and I could just tell, I was like, there's something that's going on here. There's something that's going on. I don't know how to explain it, except there was something that was going on there. Like, it seemed like the guy was just empty and depleted and, and kind of a zombie-ish in a lot of different ways. And we, we talked, we had this built, great relationship and got to know each other. It turns out they're believers. Uh, we have this great conversation about the Lord. And uh, anyway, we're wrapping up this whole thing in this car that they were purchasing. And, and she tells me, she's like, hey, I want to offer you this gift. And she's like, I'm a masseuse. Uh, I, I want to offer you a free day for your wife to come and like all these spa packages for your wife is our anniversary coming up. And I want to offer you this whole thing, this whole one day worth of packages. And I was like, that's a lot of money she was offering. I was like, yes, I will absolutely take you up on that. And so for our anniversary, I got Kat this whole day at her, at her house doing this spa package. And so I, I don't know why, probably just because I was a rookie husband at that time, but I, I went with her to this whole thing. Um, and so, uh, we show, and probably it's because it was at her house. I didn't know this woman. And I was like, okay, I want to make sure things are all on the up and up here. And so we went to this lady's house and, um, and we go in there and, uh, she's like, Hey, I want to invite you to stay with us. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come in here. So I'm sitting in this room and she's getting her massage done and everything like that. And, and this woman just starts quoting scripture, just starts quoting scripture over cat. And she starts just talking about these very, very specific things and I'm not going to get into those specifics, but starts talking about very, very specific things that were going on with her family and that were going on with us. And she starts quoting the words of God, the actual words of Scripture, and just starts encouraging us with these words and speaking, us, speaking Scripture to us in that moment. Church, can I tell you like, what that did for us? I, I'm not kidding you. We went in there for a day thinking that it was a spa time. And this is a relaxation, just kind of this, this, this gift that was there. We were both literally there weeping. That what God was doing is he knew the secrets of our heart. He knew what was going on there. This lady had no idea who we were. We weren't even on Facebook at this time blabbing this kind of deal around there. And, and somehow, like, she was able to speak to these specific things and encourage us with God's word in that very moment. And we came away praising God, finding healing with some of these specific things that were going on in our relationship and things of that nature. And church, what I'm saying is this is a very, very unusual gift that we don't understand a whole lot of times. Nevertheless, like, that's what's taking place here. The Holy Spirit comes and he gifts people with these words and these messages of knowledge where he is able to show the secrets of your heart that they may be laid bare for the edification of the body and for the furtherance of the gospel all around the world. 
And he continues going on with these different odd things. He talks about the gift of faith. This is this supernatural ability to believe God for the impossible. Like, I know that he's moving in this thing, but, but I had this gift of faith. I believe that God is going to move. It's, in, in my life, I, I think of the Martins all the time. Kyle has this ability to believe that God is going to move in everybody that he encounters and everybody that he meets in. He talks about gifts of healing. Church, does God still heal today? Yes. Does God still do the miraculous today? Yes. Does he do it through everybody who's claiming miracles and healing? No. Does he heal every single person? No. But, is he, but when your loved one is sick, are you praying, Holy Spirit, would you come and bring your healing if it be your will? Absolutely. Same thing with the miraculous powers. Do we understand it? Are there frauds out there? Are there people you need to be aware of? Of course there are. Nevertheless, uh, that's what's going on here. He's a miraculous working God who is able to speak life out of absolutely nothing. And the Holy Spirit is moving in those days, and he's bringing about miraculous works at the beginning of the church. And it's what's going on. He talks about distinguishing his spirits here. In other words, are you a good witch or are you a bad witch, right? <laughs> Remember that from, a, from a, whatever that movie was. Um, like, are, you know, is it, are you fraudulent or are you not? Is this legitimately of the Holy Spirit or is this a game, right? And, and you have this gift that's able to distinguish between what's true and what's not true. Tongues and the interpretation of tongues. We've talked about that. Legitimate language given to believers for the proclamation of the gospel that people who speak that language may come to understand what's going on at that time. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, there's going to be debates about what's taking place there. Is that a prayer language? Uh, is that a language that's spoken unto God? Or what's going on in 1 Corinthians 14? And what I'm going to say about that is we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks because it's a little bit too big to deal with right now. However, that's what's going on here. You've got a legitimate language over here being spoken for the proclamation of the gospel and the edification of his church worldwide. He talks, lastly, I want to lift up this gift of prophecy. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 and uh, it's probably going to have a little bit of overlap here with words of wisdom, words of knowledge, very similar themed type of gifts here. Uh, but Peter, back in Acts 2, is very, very clear. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Even on broad bond slaves, I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. And so when we're talking about this New Testament prophecy here, like all we're talking about is spirit-directed proclamation of God's word into a specific situation for the purpose of edification and furthering the gospel worldwide. Like that's what we're talking about here is a proclamation of God's word into a specific situation for the purpose of edification and the furthering of the gospel worldwide. One of the benefits that we have today that they did not have right then is we have God's word. Like the Holy Spirit has breathed life into his word. It is inspired. It is without error. We have the truth of God's word. And so when we're talking about this New Testament prophecy, it never, ever, ever carries this authority of scripture and never, ever contradicts scripture. And it never, ever adds to scripture, which is exactly why Paul is going to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 and 20, 19 through 21, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Like, don't quench the Holy Spirit by believing, okay, he's completely done. Nothing is, like, he's never going to work. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on uh, to what is good and reject every kind of evil. In other words, not everything that people say is from the Lord is actually from the Lord. You need to test it. You need to be in a community of believers. You need to have people with the Spirit, uh, an understanding of discernment here to be able to figure out, is this really of God or is this not actually of God? It's also why we never say things like, thus stays the Lord, or God told me this, or God told me that, because God's word is always certain. My ability to discern it always is not, right? And so nevertheless, what we are talking about is a spirit-directed proclamation and application of God's word into a specific moment for the edification of his body and the furthering of the gospel all around the world. 
And so sometimes that means it is a supernaturally knowing how to apply God's known word and God's truth to someone else at just the right time. And sometimes it's some sort of a combination of what we talked about before, these words of wisdom and faith and knowledge and where the Holy Spirit gives you divine insight into something going on in someone's life. And you humbly go out on a limb willing to be used by God and his Holy Spirit for the edification of the body and the furthering the gospel all around the world. Great example of this is a few years ago. I've told you this story uh, once or twice, I think, in the past, but a uh, profound impact on my personal life here. About three years ago, coming up on the three-year anniversary, and needless to say, when I was about to start up here, I was uh, absolutely terrified about being a, about being a pastor. And um, I'll never forget three years ago, I went to a prayer meeting up in uh, downtown Dallas with a bunch of friends. A guy was out there, and he was doing some teaching on uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he went to DTS, where I went to school and everything, and um, we went out there, and uh, we went to this prayer meeting, and I, I sat there listening to the entire teaching the whole time, and at the end of the time, he was talking about some of these gifts, gifts of knowledge and, and, and discernment and things of that nature, and he said, I want to do something a little bit different. He goes, I've got a friend here. None of you have ever met him before. I want to invite him to come up here, and so he brought me up there, and I'd never seen anybody in that room in my life, and he goes, I want to just take some time, 10, 15 minutes, and I just want to give you guys an opportunity to pray and see if God is going to give you anything here to encourage him with or, or uh, to speak in his life about. And, and I was like, okay, this is really, really weird. I've never done anything like this before. And, um, and so uh, I sat up there, and for 15 minutes, I'm sitting on a stool while everybody else is out there praying. I'm like, that is really, really weird, right? And, uh, and so 15 minutes is up, and he just says, look, is, is, do you have anything? Is there, anyth- is there anything that you feel like the Holy Spirit's given you? And this girl stands up, and and she goes, I don't know if this is going to make any sense or, or not, but, but she's like, I just kept getting this picture of you in a weight room. And I was like, that makes no sense to me whatsoever, right? And I joked about it. I was like, yeah, you're wrong about that. That was the wrong person. It was not me. And she's like, no, 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 no. You were there. You were in this black track suit. I was like, again, not me. But anyway, um, and she's like, but you were over there at the squat station, and you were doing all kinds of squats. And I looked at the bar, and she goes, it was really, really, uh, it was pretty lightweight, but you're doing a whole lot of repetitions, and you're doing them pretty easily. And she goes, all of a sudden, so your spotter came up, and he ended up just adding to, the, uh, adding to the bar more and more and more weight. And it kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier, and the spotter came behind you, and he was there with you the whole time, and you, kept, and you were still able to lift the weight. And she goes, what I feel like and what I think the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you is that you've been faithful with a little for a really long time, and you're now about to walk into a season with a whole lot of responsibility and a whole lot of weight. And you need to know that the Holy Spirit, that God is going to be with you every step of the way. And you're going to be able to do everything that he's called you to do. And then she stands and she's like, does that make any sense to you whatsoever? Not thus saith the Lord. God is telling me this. God is this, that, and the other. Does that make sense to you? Like I, did, I didn't know what to do except just I just wept. It was right in that moment, right? Like it was exactly what the Holy Spirit was just, he, it was right there. It was exactly what was going on in my heart. All of my insecurities, all of my fears, everything that I was just wrestling with in my heart, he spoke biblical truth. I will be with you always. I will be with you always. Right? You've been faithful with a little. Now I'm going to make you faith, see if you're faithful with much. Like he's speaking God's word. Can I tell you what that did for my soul? I came back still terrified but confident that the Holy Spirit was with me, that he was going to empower me, and that we were going to be going and doing exactly what he's called us to do, church. Where would I be if that girl did not have the confidence to go and to follow the purposes of God 
Where would I be if she was too afraid to use this gift, even though it's a weird one and an odd one and one that brings a lot of confusion and a lot of discussion and a lot of debate? Like, where would we be if she did not have the confidence and courage to say, I'm aligning with the purposes of God. I'm willing to go out on a limb here, potentially look really, really foolish so that this man may be edified and built up in the body of Christ. Where would I be? Church, what Paul is saying here is that we need each other. We need each other. All of us. Like the helpers, the administrators, the teachers, the leaders, the evangelists, the encouragers, the generous, the merciful, and all the people we don't typically even find in our tradition. These people with these gifts of discernment and wisdom and knowledge and things like that. Like we need each other for a healthy body. And granted, there's like confusion and debate about all these different things, but but there's no confusion about the purpose. Like they exist for the edification of the body and the furtherance of the gospel all around the world. Church, do you know what he's made you to do? Do you know what he's made you to do? Like in, in, in the following passage, he's going to say it's, like, it, it's, it's kind of like a human body that's composed of, of, of many different members. Some are heads and some are feet and some are elbows and hands and, and knees and, and organs and things of that nature. Like all of us are different in the different gifts and abilities that he's given to us, and especially the spiritual gifts that he's talking about right here. But, but like we're one. And for a body to be healthy, like they've all got to be on the same page, aligned with his purposes For the edification of his body and the furtherance of his gospel all around the world, we need each other, church. We need each other back. One of my favorite quotes by Mark Twain, I've said it a number of times, the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day you discovered why. Do you know your why? Paul's going to say it like this, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works, which he's already prepared in advance for us to walk in. My life changed when I understood that I actually had a purpose Late in high school, like I knew that I was a believer, that I was worshiping God. And then I come to discover, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm his workmanship. Like I had a purpose there. Like the word that he uses there is this Greek word poema. Like he's literally saying that, that you're God's poem. You're God's work of art. And, and the psalmist is going to say things like, for you were created. You created my inmost being, O Lord. Like you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He did not just throw you together, church. Like you were never just an afterthought in his mind. You were always the poetry of God created by God and created for God alone with certain good works already prepared in advance for you to walk in. Church, like he's building something. He's building something. He's moving. And it's not just here at Dallas Bible Church but, or Bent Tree or Watermark, but he's like he's moving all around the world. And, and by his grace and mercy, I don't understand it, but he's chosen not to do it all alone like He's chosen to use people like you and me and to give us gifts and to give us the indwelling Holy Spirit so that he can accomplish all the different things that he wants to accomplish in the world for the praise of his name. And some of us have been there the entire time and you've been here for years and years and years and you've been praying desperately, God, would you do a move even here at Dallas Bible Church where people uh, would be consumed and marked by your grace, where people of all different kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of different addictions and all different kinds of socioeconomic levels and all different kinds of pe- places could come into this place and they might be able to receive your grace. And I'm telling you, it is absolutely possible when the church comes together as one, united by the Holy Spirit and what he has done inside of us. And we're willing to use the various gifts to come and to make this the place of grace we long to see. And some of us have been praying, God, would you come and do a work in our children and our youth? I, would you move in power? Would you do such a work where they get saved at a young age and know the joy of walking with you for a lifetime? And I'm telling you, it is absolutely possible when the body comes together as one and people who have the gifts of helps and the people with the gifts of administration and generosity and 
knowledge and wisdom when they come together and they're willing to be used for the glory of God's name when they align with his purposes above all else. It's all possible when the body of Christ comes together, aligned with his purposes. Do you know what he's created you to do? I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now.